0: Hey everybody, you're listening to another great episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. My name is Dave Stovall, I'm your host, and I've got a little secret to let everybody in on. Come here, get a little closer to your speakers. There's more than one way to practice Jesus-style disciple making. That's right, I said it. And aren't you a little bit relieved? Some of these disciple makers out there do things that I don't think I could ever pull off. But thankfully, today we are continuing the conversation between Bobby Harrington and Matt Dabbs looking into the book, Discipleship That Fits. Bobby and Matt discuss the importance of different types of space, like divine space, public space, personal space, etc., and how you can use those in various church contexts to troubleshoot problems by understanding the purpose of each space. I'm so excited to jump into this episode with you. Without further ado, here is Matt Dabbs and Bobby Harrington.
1: Well, hey, everybody. This is Matt with Discipleship.org and also with Bobby Harrington of Discipleship.org. And we're going to spend a few minutes talking about his book, Discipleship That Fits, that he wrote with Alex Absalom. Uh, I've read the book. We were just talking a minute ago about how uh, it answered a number of things for me that I just couldn't put my mind around in ministry that when I read the book, I thought, oh, that's how that works. That's why this is happening. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, but Bobby just share with us about discipleship that fits and, um, why our readers need to check it out. Cause I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Thanks, Matt.
2: Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's a book that almost wrote itself. I, several years ago, just working on disciple making and really trying to understand some things. I'd gone through an experience in my own church where I had tried to work on disciple-making in a certain space, and it wasn't as effective as in another space. And I'm like, well, why is that? And then all of a sudden, that just led me into a deep dive on the different spaces and the different relationships even Jesus had in making disciples. And Alex Absalom, I have to give credit to Alex. He is such a, a competent guy. In all these spaces, and to be able to write it with Alex was a real honor and privilege. And here's the truth of the matter, Matt. I I probably shouldn't be the guy saying this, but it's really true. A lot of times when people read the book Discipleship That Fits, the conversation is hey, that's the best book on discipleship that more church leaders need to read because it's so helpful in architecting and creating the disciple making. Structure or the framework in your local church. So I'm really glad that we can talk about it. I'm glad that we can talk about it as we head into the National Disciple Making Forum, May 1st and 2nd, which I really want to encourage our listeners to consider joining us in Indianapolis because this conversation on culture and how to create disciple making cultures and how to be a part of one, how even just as an attendee, How it's so important that we all see ourselves as disciples who make disciples. And at the end of the day, that's what the culture is all about. We want cultures and churches and ministries and environments and families. Let's just go all the way where we see ourselves as disciples who are also helping make disciples. I love that. And one of the things I really loved about the book was that it also just dovetailed right in with Jesus-style
1: disciple-making and just a whole nother way of looking at that in a way that I just had never conceptualized. So I, I'm very fascinated to hear the backstory of where that came from. After having read the book,
2: hear you say that, I'm like, wow, that. thank thank you, Lord, for putting that on Bobby's heart. Yeah. So Matt, let me pull up a diagram that we use that kind of is a good framework to just summarize the whole book. And uh, if you're listening, say through Podbeam, you won't be able to see what we're looking at right now on YouTube. So I'm going to describe the five discipling relationships. The book is Discipleship That Fits, and then these five discipling relationships. We had, by the way, we real privileged to have Tom Rainer write the foreword to the book. So here are the five relationships. I'm just going to use Jesus, and then we can talk about how it applies in the New Testament church and how it applies in our churches today. So there's Jesus in the crowds, and that'd be the public space for disciple-making. The sociologist Joseph Myers mapped out four of these five spaces, and you're going to find that people just naturally congregate around these different spaces, and they have certain natural expectations of what goes on in the spaces. So the first is Jesus and the crowds, that's public teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, Then the next phase is Jesus and the 70, and it's a social space. It's the space where you can know people's names, but but typically not a lot of information about them. And then that leads to the third space, which is Jesus with the 12, and that's the personal space. These are personal relationships where you know, of course, you know everybody by name. You know a little bit of personal information about each person. You might think of the TV series, The Chosen, Matt. I think the chosen is fantastic, but one of the things the chosen does is it shows you the relationships amongst the 12 disciples and Jesus. And it gives you a real sense of that. And of course, most churches with small groups, they're hoping for disciple making in that space. And then the next space down is Jesus and the three, Peter, James, and John, sometimes Andrew, which is called the transparent space. In fact, I think Joseph Myers might have used the language, the intimate space, but we elected the language of transparent space, because this is where it's eyeball to eyeball, it's life on life, it's heart on heart. This is actually, in terms of personal discipling relationships, the highest impact relationships. That's why Jesus invested uh, so much in Peter, James, and John. They were there on the transfiguration. They were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then when Jesus goes back to heaven, who are the leaders of the early church? Peter, James, and John. And so on a couple of levels, that transparent space is quite important. And then the most impactful relationship of all is the discipling relationship that we each have with with God through the power of the Holy Spirit as we surrender to God the Father through Jesus. So it's the divine space. It's the space where we're led by the spirit. We're filled with the spirit. We walk with the spirit, where we have this deep personal relationship with God. And of course, ultimately, that is the most transformative relationship. So those are the five spaces. And we can talk about each one of them. So two things
1: I'm curious about, you know, one is if you mapped a church, the, the life of a church onto this, you know, where would things fit? And then the second thing, that we have time to get to it later, maybe that crosses my mind is what happens when you try to do something that fits one space and a space that doesn't fit? Are there kind of like boundaries or barriers that, that maybe make sense out of some ministry problems people are facing?
2: Yeah, so uh, let me try to deal with 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 that today. So let's contrast, if we can, what was going on in the Gospels with what we've got to deal with today. You know, sometimes when you read the Gospels, you almost think, well, like, I know they were fishermen, but when did they ever fish? Like, like I know they did it, but it's kind of like they were with each other all the time, right? So you had Jesus with Peter, James, and John, Jesus with the 12, Jesus with the 70, and then Jesus, you know, speaking to the crowds. Well, it, today, we, of course, live very busy lives, and so if you look at these five discipling relationships, how would they work in a local church? So I would argue that you cannot structure a church where you have all five functioning, where you, you know, um, set it up with the architecture of a church where everybody's in all five. Now, I do believe, though, that there are three that are super important that every church leader needs to make sure people have at least three of them. So let me talk about the first most important one. We encourage people to have a Holy Spirit relationship with God, a divine, like the thing they've got to attend to, and we've got to equip them to attend to above all, is their own personal relationship with God. Like uh, right now in in my church, we are embarking on the new year. We're doing two things: we're getting everybody into Scripture daily, so we have these different ways of doing that. But uh, including this new thing we're doing called Step into Scripture. So we're going to get people in Scripture on a daily basis. And in our church, we try to every January we try to have a period of fasting and prayer. So you're watching this podcast or listening to it, we are just finishing up, as you're listening to it, 21 Days of Fasting and Prayer. Because the most important thing of all, and I've just seen this so many times, Matt, and so have you. In fact, I had a seminary professor talk to me after teaching theology for 40 years. He said if he could go back in time, he would have made sure that he emphasized with all of his students, First and foremost was their personal relationship with God. So as church leaders, we've got to make that job one. I'm kind of on a—well, it is when you keep talking about something, like I'm on a bandwagon or something right now, but Matt, we know this, the single most transformative thing in the life of a disciple of Jesus is daily engagement with Scripture. Now, I believe that's because you're going to, if you have daily engagement with Scripture, you're also going to be praying. And so churches have to set people up to do that, okay? And I said three relationships. Every church has got to have three. That's got to be number one, is the divine space and your relationship with God. Then you've got four, four other options, and I think every disciple needs two of the four. Let, let's just talk about If you made me king of the world, and I know that people have limited time, what am I going to do? Well, in my context, I'm going to invite them. I'm going to encourage everybody to come to our large gathering on the weekends. There are things we do at that weekend where we disciple people publicly. Matt, I know in your case, with more of a house church environment, there's not so many people. So the social space would be yours. But in my context, the public space, And then in our church context, we teach people, if they can do both a personal space, which is a small group, and a transparent space group, if they can do both, great. But if you can only do three, we're going to say divine space, public space, and then transparent space. I would way sooner see four men meeting together regularly, doing life-on-life, in-depth disciple-making that to see people in a small group where they may not get down to brass tacks of what's happening in their lives. So I, I don't know if that sounds consistent. So push back on me, Matt, and uh, for our audience, let's make this really clear. Yeah, I think that makes an awful lot of sense. I, I definitely think, obviously, the big rocks go
1: in the jar first, divine space. If you had to pick Bible class, sitting in a Bible class versus being in relational life on life, transparent space, you know, if you're talking that's that large Bible class of thirty, forty, fifty, you're in that kind of that social space ish versus four people. Yeah, definitely transparent space there. And I get why you would point to public space um for the messaging, the vision casting, all those kinds of things, the connection points, that 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 makes an awful lot of sense as well. So what would what would you know, Yeah, I agree. I, I'm I'm trying to think of what I would push back on there.
2: Well, well hey Matt, though. <clears throat> Like, in your context right now, you're leading a house church movement, so you've got the social space, not the public space. And I'll just be transparent. I think right now, especially for young adults, the fact that in the church where I'm leading, we don't have strong discipling in the social space, I think it hurts us. Mm. Whereas for you, that would be a point of strength, right? No, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I was setting you up there so you could extol on the virtues of a
1: house church of the house church. Well, I mean, part of the house church situation is that it's highly participatory, you know, and so there's no back row <laughs> all right there in the front row every time, you know, people you can't can't really do that. And uh,
2: whereas I have a bunch of back row people. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I don't have a bunch,
1: but I have some. You have a few. You have a few, you know, and we also tried to incorporate our kids. From the very beginning you know in the life of the church because we don't want them to at 18 and go hey come over here you know it's like no you've always been here this always was your space you know so that does happen really well in that social space and we do incorporate some personal areas with our kids sometimes during the lessons well ha- half the weeks we pull them out for some children time lesson directed to them but half of our worship services are fully inclusive with the children participating Seeing us pray, hearing us pray, them praying, asking for prayers, listening to God for God together. I mean, those sorts of things. So, yeah, it is a little bit of a kind of move it down for us just a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I just think that, you know, let's look, talk about the social space. So social space is going to be church churches from 50 to, say, 75, you know, in that space of even 50 up to 100. Those are the vast majority of churches throughout the world right now. Those are the vast majority of churches throughout history. Those are the vast majority of churches even in the New Testament. So the idea of these large public gatherings, Matt, do you know that in 1960, in the United States, there was only 10 megachurches? Didn't know that. It shows how things have changed now because we like to professionalize. And, you know, uh, of course, the malls came in the same, you know, the period of the mega church was the period of malls and make things bigger i really think things are moving back toward what you're doing with more of the house church movement i think there's advantages in doing the you know the size of church that that i'm at but i don't think it's an advantage for everybody and i think when you start talking about you know everybody participates i think that's a super important argument for uh, disciple-making in the social space.
1: Well, you bring up a really important point, and that is that the majority of people hearing this are in smaller churches. So I think that's super important. And we kind of get caught the, the visibility of the big church, you know, kind of clouds that a bit on where we think people are at. But, but most people are in small churches. Most pastors are in small churches. So
2: yeah, that that's really, I think, a very important point to make. I think also, as we think of planting churches, like both you and I, really believe strongly in planting churches. I think that like our church, let me just share some numbers. Our property, we, for our property and our building, we were almost $12 million. Well, when you think of the kind of resources and the kind of stuff that you have to pull that off versus what you're doing right now, how much do you pay for facilities? Zero. (laughs) And so that frees up money. And I just think we're moving into a period into the future where, you know, the financial resources that people are going to, like, I think economically things are going to change majorly. And I think the idea that you can build these big churches with, you know, buildings and all of the, all of this financial money put into these buildings and spaces, we're going to with the limited funds, we're going to want to make sure we put that into ministry and people as much as possible. Yeah. And I'm a huge, still a firm believer.
1: God uses all sizes. I mean, and I know you'd say that too, and he's going to continue to do that. There'll always be big and small and in the middle and everything. You know, we need each other for that. Part of me always keeps wanting to say, well, you know, the bigger churches, you have more seminary trained people and that's less room for heresy and all You still get heresy in a big church, you know?
2: It's like. No, the biggest um, predictor of no heresy is the amount of time regularly that everybody's spending in scripture. Neil Cole told me this a few years ago, and I found it to be totally the truth. The more you have people actually engaged in personally reading scripture, the less heresy you're going to have in churches. And that's Curtis Sargent's
1: argument toward house churches. He'll say the same thing we're in the word. We're accountable to the word. We're living it obediently. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's a good check.
2: Hey, let me go back to those church leaders who are thinking of architecting disciple making in their churches. So I want to sort of talk about baby steps and then going all the way in on these five discipling relationships. Matt, when I talk to church leaders, especially busy senior pastors, and we talk about making disciples that the first shift they have to make in their church is the lead pastor guy has to be the primary model of disciple-making. And when we we just tell people that he's got to be that. He's got to be what he wants everybody else to be. And uh, if he's not doing it, the church is not going to do it. If he is doing it, it's going to come out in his sermons and other places, and then he'll be the example, and he can help spread that. So once we've been through that with people and we help them to see that, then a lot of people in ministry wonder, okay, how am I going to make time to be personally making disciples? So there's two things I want to say about that. The first is that typically the transparent space is the easiest to make sure that you put that into your schedule. If I'm coaching a lead pastor, I'll say, just give me five hours a week and Uh, He might be thinking, well, I only need an hour and a half for the group. Well, that's because you're not thinking quite right about it. It's not just the group. It's life on life. So you're going to, you know, once a week go out with one of the guys in your group for lunch, or you're going to go to a game, or, you know, you're going to serve others with them. There's going to be hospital visits. There's going to be phone calls and texting. And if you can budget five hours a week, and you can find, uh, and and I I recommend that you don't go more than uh, uh, five people total. Some guys, uh, like my executive minister, he can get up to six and he's, he's happy with that. I've never, I've always found that the best I can do in a transparent space group is about four men. Mm-hmm. So it's real life on life. Like we really get down to brass tacks. I wrote a book called Trust and Follow Jesus. Which has a guide, a guy named Carl Williamson and his wife, Alicia, work with me on it, where we start off really opening up the relationship. Then we get into some uh, core biblical teachings and then discovery Bible study after that. And we've just found super transformative. And so I get pastors to do that. Now, let me mention the second thing. Typically, you want to get your leaders in these transparency-based groups. So if a pastor has not been discipling his staff or his elders, I will recommend, don't just start a group, but start a group where you will model for them, especially in a lot of churches. If you've got a pastor in his 50s and he hasn't been investing in his staff, he needs to invest in his staff and disciple them. And what you want to do is you want to model like the one i'm describing because you want the people on your staff to experience it and then after being in the group with you for a year i'd recommend a year you can turbo charge them if you want to do it faster but you want to do it with them and then they can do the exact same model with somebody else yeah which is very much in line with the jesus example right it's making yeah. disciple
1: makers rather than just making disciples
2: yeah so uh uh, back to the architecting a system using this this insight, uh, the best leadership development in discipling relationships is most likely going to be in the transparent space. Now, if you're coaching s- small group leaders, we call them home groups in our church, so you're you're in the personal space. Typically, what you can do to raise up leaders is you disciple your apprentice. So if you're if like right now I'm leading a home group and uh, I have a guy actually two guys that I'm investing in on the side because I want to raise them up so that when we multiply the group uh te- technically both these guys can lead another group and so I want to invest in them uh as a a lead pastor in a church you want to you want to be raising up leaders and multiplying Disciple makers. So, my goal as a lead pastor at a church is not just to make disciples, but to make disciple makers. Because the more disciple makers I make, the more people who get disciples. Like Matt, let's talk about the social space now, which you're leading in. In fact, you've recently multiplied your house church. So, talk to us about the kind of things that you're doing there. Yeah. So um Curtis Sargent gave me a really good
1: insight into this there in Franklin, where he talked about, you know, when you multiply, that you stay with home-based church, but then you find a leader and then you help them launch a second church. So now I'm part of two churches. That helped me tremendously because I had been through a small group where you like grew to multiply and then you split and it was painful and nobody wanted to do it. And so here I am in the morning, Sunday morning, I'm with home-based church, always my spiritual family, never gonna leave them. But I'm now in the afternoon, second church, helping him, which started as a prayer time and Bible study through prayer walking, meeting people, networking, just that neighborhood, bringing in uh ice cream truck, paying for the community, to get, all that, connecting with people. Uh, and so, you know, now we have a church of, you know, 50-ish and a church of, you know, a dozen. So those are the two different spaces. So that church of a dozen is operating more in a, not an intimate space, but a lot closer and, uh, lots of prayer, lots of time in the word. And so we started talking about, we need to have this conversation about how this is actually becoming a church. Like what's the difference between us and a church. And as soon as we started talking and praying about that group was like, we're kind of like a church, you know, and we just kind of looked at each other and just kind of smiled, you know, they're, they're seeing it. God's moving. So, um, Took some pages from Curtis on that, but it's been a tremendous blessing. And we hope to start some more uh, this year.
2: Okay, uh, Matt, let's have this conversation uh, before we wind up here. Uh, there, I have found, first of all, I'm always going to be an advocate for to prioritize the divine space as I start, and the transparent space, especially for leadership development the transparent space where you just have conversations, like the intimate conversations that leaders need to have, uh, especially as you're helping people to deal with leading in a new context, and you know the the kind of transparency you got to have about difficulties in leading people and people problems and all that that come in discipling relationships. But having said that, I find with young adults, like right now, we're about to start in our church context, a young adults. So it's going to be uh, people like twenty-two to thirty-two, and I have found that the social space is the best space. So, uh, and that means for us, we want to create as best we can. We want to create a group of like thirty people right away. Now, part of that is stage of life because they're they, you know, they're naturally thinking I'd like to get married someday. A lot of them, so they want to be in a larger group where they could possibly meet people. It's also a period in life where they don't have family and friends. So they've got, you know, they want a social life. And what better social life than with people in your church? And so I have just found it's super effective with young adults to start a social space, small group, or not small group, a social space size group. Now, there's, you can argue what I'm about to talk to you about different ways. One of the advantages of a large church with public services, like ours, is that seekers can come and kick the tires. In fact, let me just make two points. A lot of my friends who are really good preachers with large churches, they often don't, times don't like the disciple-making conversation because they think that disciple-making advocates are putting down large church gatherings. I'm not. In fact, I try to lead one you know, every week, and I think it's a space that Jesus used. I mean, Jesus spoke to the crowds. There are things that can happen in the crowds that it's an ideal space. I know lots of people who have come to know Jesus because they came anonymously in church services. Mm-hmm. Like even this Sunday, as we're starting 21 Days of Fasting, our, our leadership, we've talked through, how do we handle... How do we help people who are tire kickers who don't know Jesus who are trying to figure out their spiritual lives? They hear this group of people talking about fasting for 21 days. That sounds so intimidating. And so you know we're talking through how do we help them because publicly that's one of the the best spaces for that kind of thing. So just as you're architecting a system, I just want to advocate for understanding the different spaces and what's realistic to accomplish in each of those spaces. So good. And I think it helps us.
1: Last thought for me is this helps us troubleshoot some of our problems. So if I'm looking at an issue going, why is this not clicking? Maybe I'm trying to put the wrong purpose in a, in a, a group size that's not ideal for that. So, yeah. you know, I'm asking for an intimate space thing
2: in a public space or a social space. Oh, and, that's let that, me that's just it. jump in here and say, one of the biggest things that a lot of people find is they get dissatisfied with a small group because they're in a small group. And they got, you know, 12, 14 people and they wanted close relationships and they're not getting them. And typically what you want to do in a case like that is you want to have a subset, a transparent space group. That's part of your larger personal group. That's so, good. Uh, so I, I think it's, this good clarification on that yeah really good very powerful bobby well thank you for sharing all this with us do you have a last thought for us no just appreciate you matt and uh, i want to punctuate something that we both have said but to say it again there's not just one way to practice jesus style disciple making and the discussion on these discipling relate these five discipling relationships helps us to think through what are the best relationships to emphasize in our church structure. You know, Matt, most of us have church structures where most of the people we're going to get, we're only going to get them twice a week. So how are you going to use those two times a week uh, when people are gathering? How do do we do that? And uh, I'm going to be the broken record here. How do we get them in the divine space where they're walking with God every day? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well,
1: we appreciate you watching and listening to this. This is a very intentionally laid out series on the podcast and the YouTube channel. A lot has gone into it to get things prepared for the forum and to look at discontinuity with disciple making culture and how do we make these shifts. And so I really hope that you won't just make this a one and done if you're watching or listening to this, but you'll follow along with this season on the podcast.
0: Please check the links in the show notes. We have got a link to the book, Discipleship That Fits. We've also included a free tool related to this episode. Check the show notes before you move on to the next episode. Up next on this podcast, we're going to be hearing from Jason Shepard. He's going to be discussing with us his disciple making model. Looking forward to hearing that episode with you as well. Hey, are you interested in joining us this May for the National Disciple Making Forum in Indianapolis? It is on Disciple Making Culture. We have a link in the show notes as well for you to go buy those tickets now because it's February and May is just around the corner. So make sure you go to our website and buy those today. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate you being a listener of this podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day.